0: All right, we're going to go to God's Word now, so if you would bow and pray with me, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to be present when we do. Lord God, we approach your Word with confidence because we know that it is a life-giving Word. And Lord, we approach right now this morning knowing that we need to hear from you. Not from a human preacher, not for some great tickling ideas, Lord, we just need to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would translate these words that come out of my mouth and that people would hear a word from you for their own lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So believe it or not, during COVID, in the last five months, I have married two of my children. My oldest daughter got married in July. My oldest son got married literally a couple weeks ago. One was in my yard in Wheaton, um, after months of consternation, hoping that COVID was going to go away by July. Um, we had to go down to 44 guests and be in my yard. It was awesome. The next one was in Virginia, in someone else's yard, because it became evident again that we were not going to be able to have this big bash party at some cool venue, where we could really get this all done. You know, during that, uh, those COVID weddings, I think my family learned a couple things about Weddings, you know, the wedding is the beginning of a long relationship, right? It's just the beginning. It's a great celebration, but it's just the beginning. And I remember at both weddings, my daughter Morgan made a slideshow and took, took us through the journey of these kids' lives from, like, birth all the way through getting married. I remember sitting at the rehearsal dinners watching that slideshow. We were pointing, we were laughing, we were crying. We were remembering stories of time spent together, we kind of realize in that moment that, you know, a family is about relationships and memories more than it's about a house we live in or a place we go or a place that we are. When it comes to faith, to walking with God, the same thing is true. For many religions, the gods are confined to a sacred space, a place where you have to go to be with that god. This kind of leads to thinking of places as holy, sacred spaces. We kind of fall into this trap a little bit here because this is a place that we know we've met God inside this worship center. So we start to think this is the sacred space where God is. And when we go home, he's not going to be the same. No, that's not the God that we worship. We worship a God who is not confined to a geographic location. We worship a God who is everywhere at once, right? Shows up in all locations, Because of this, the Jewish people had an annual calendar that helped them to remember the God who was a God of events, not a God of places. They remembered that God was the Redeemer who redeemed them from slavery. He was the provider in the wilderness, right? On and on it went. And they would celebrate each of these events through the sacred festivals that they had built through their calendar year. These were called by some rabbis the palaces in time, where they could remember where God was and who he was. Now, we also have an annual calendar. It's called the church calendar. We're about to enter into this amazing season of Advent, Thanksgiving and Advent. Now, we're one week early on the Advent journey, but we figure with COVID this year, we could probably use a little extra boost, right? So we launched in a little early to set the stage for this celebration we're going to have walking again towards the birth of Jesus into the world. Now, you might be wondering, like, client, what is this you got behind you here? Well, this is called the sukkah. It means a temporary shelter. Yeah, the people of Israel actually built these sukkahs, right? They have no sides. The roof is made of branches. You can see the stars. They built these sukkahs at the Feast of Tabernacles every year. They were commanded to do so by God. They were to remind them that when they lived in the wilderness, they had no protection, nothing to kind of keep them safe. They were just vulnerable to the wilderness, and they had to just kind of stay inside their sukkah. At the Feast of Tabernacles time, every Israelite family would build one of these in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. They'd be covering the Mount of Olives, and they would live inside of it for eight days to remind them of their need for God when everything else is falling apart. You know, the rabbinical tradition of the Jewish people says that Jesus was born on Sukkot. Not December 25th. Hate to disappoint. That's a pagan tradition of the Romans, Sukkot was this special Feast of Tabernacles Day, this day when the people of Israel did this. Now, you might be wondering, why did they choose this date? Well, I'm going to walk you through that real fast, so let's just walk through this together. Luke 1.3 tells us this, Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke does an investigation, writes an orderly account. Part of his orderly account in in verse 5 goes like this, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was also a descendant of Aaron. This is significant information because we know that the priests were divided into divisions, and this started all the way back in the time of David. We know by the time of Jesus, there were 20,000 priests divided into 24 divisions. Josephus, the historian, tells us the schedule of their showing up in the temple to do their temple duties. So we know that Zechariah, when he got the vision that he was going to have John the Baptist as his son, his barren wife was going to conceive a son named John the Baptist, we know Zechariah was in the temple right around Passover because that was the schedule that Josephus gives us. So if that's true, we can start to count this this schedule out, right? So he's there at Passover, which means he goes home and sees his wife Elizabeth. She's probably pregnant in the month of May, and then we know that Luke one twenty six tells us that, that six months later, the angel Gabriel visited Mary, right? Visited Mary six months later. So we count forward, that's the month of December. If we go to the month of December and then we count forward nine to ten months, which is when a baby takes to get going, right? That's the month of October, which is Sukkot. A careful investigation. So what was going on during this festival? Why would God choose this time to have his son show up in the world? Well, Leviticus 23 reads like this. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of of shelters, begins on the fifteenth day of the appointed month. After you have harvested all the produce of the land, the first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees Palm fronds, bows from leafy trees and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So let's review. They were to celebrate. They were to worship. Do you know the song of celebration at Sukkot? It went like this. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's from the book of Luke. That's what the angels sang when they showed up in the fields to the shepherds. Why were the shepherds in the fields? Well, because during Sukkot, during the harvest, the farmers would leave their leftovers for the shepherds to come and bring their, their flocks through and take over and eat the leftovers. This would not happen all year long. You didn't want sheep going through your fields eating all the crops. You would only do it during harvest time. They were to live in booths and these temporary shelters made of natural materials. So I couldn't get palm fronds here. In, in a, I, I looked around, so I went to the prairie path and I cut a few uh, branches down hoping not to get arrested. Um, in the process, I made it successfully and I made my, our Sukkot. Actually, Mr. Beckfar helped me build this Sukkot on, on a Thursday. All this was designed to help Israel remember their vulnerability to the wilderness. That they didn't have doors, they didn't have alarm systems, they didn't have a roof over their head. They were just vulnerable to the storm that was the wilderness. And they had to live there because they knew they needed God. Now, you might be thinking the million-dollar question like, client, what are you telling us all this for? What's this all about? I don't get this. Like, who cares that Jesus was born in Sukkot? Well, I believe God paints pictures for His people. I believe God wants people to understand the significance of His actions. He wants people to get what He is doing. So all these Old Testament feasts, I believe, point to Jesus, the significance of his coming, he wants us to get it. And the Feast of Tabernacles points us to the rich meaning of Jesus coming into the world that first time. It gives us an amazing picture of God's love, his purposes, and the relationship that he wants to have with his people. So now I want to unpack for you what kind of picture could God be painting through having Jesus born during Sukkot? Well, the first thing we understand is the Feast of Tabernacles involved daily worship. The people would actually go down to the Pool of Siloam. They would get a pitcher of water. They would carry it back to the temple. They would pour it over the altar, and they would dance around the altar with palm fronds, waving frenetically and worshiping God. You know why they did this? Because back in the book of Ezekiel, the presence of the Lord picks up off the temple and heads out into the wilderness, And the people longed for God to be back in the temple in the same way he was in the temple in the Old Testament. So they would go in the temple and they would show their longing through this frenetic worship, calling out to their God to come back to the temple. Advent is about this same longing. This longing for God to come, to show up, to enter in, to really be with us in a tangible way for His presence to be among us, for us to be deeply connected to Him. We all want to experience a God who's bigger than ourselves, bigger than our circumstances. 2020? Huh. This is even more true, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't want things to return back to normal? I was on the phone with a mom this week, and she said, Klein, they can shoot me full of anything they want to shoot me full of, just so things get back to normal. I love that. <laughs> She's got four kids at home. She's trying to like keep them all going in school. She's losing her mind. How many of you just want to see your grandchildren or see your grandparents? There's been fires, hurricanes, social unrest, political chaos, racial unrest. I could keep going. It's like a total meltdown. We've all felt it, right? We all long for a vaccine. We all long for things to get back to normal. But here's the thing. The lesson of Sukkot is this, I think our longings are directed in the wrong direction. Because when you're in this temporary shelter, there's not a whole lot to long for, right? I hope I get some walls, I hope I get a door, I hope I get some security, I hope I get a roof over my head. No, when you're in that temporary shelter, the only thing you can do is long for God to show up and join you in the shelter. When you're vulnerable to all this stuff going on in the world, the best longing you can have is a longing for God's presence, to reach out to Him and ask Him to show up in your life. I see humans just running around, frenetically trying to figure out how to get through this. Well, stop, cease, be quiet, and just reach for God and ask Him to be present with you. You know, I learned this in many ways from my brother Chris. You've all met him when he was here. Lives in the wheelchair his whole life. He's lived in a wheelchair. He's, he's, uh, let's see, he's probably 47 now, I think. 47 years in a wheelchair. Unable to dress himself, feed himself, all this stuff. And you know, if you were Chris, you could spend your life wishing that a cure would be found. I remember my parents taking Chris to these experimental doctors that would like try to work on his brain. And finally we said, that's not the answer. Like, it's not going to get better. It's not going to fix. Barring a miraculous touch from God, Chris is going to just be like this the rest of his life. He could spend his whole life just going, man, this is terrible. I can't believe this. Just totally. Instead, Chris reaches for God in his total vulnerability and need. He longs for the presence of the Lord in his life. So I love that God sent Jesus on Sukkot because he's saying to us, look, Turn your longings toward me. I can satisfy. Only I can satisfy. The second thing I get from this whole sending Jesus at to code is this. This sukkah, as you can see, would not be very good at providing shelter, would it? How about protection? Would you feel protected living in here with your family? Would you feel safe? I mean, anybody walking through the desert could have jumped in here and just messed you up. They could have stolen your stuff. Right? Any disease can come right through the walls. The, the elements outside, the, the, if it was rainy or if it was super hot, even the roof doesn't have enough cover to even shelter you from the hot sun. It's a temporary shelter. It's a place in the wilderness of scarcity, of food and water, scarcity of safety, scarcity of shade. So this temporary shelter reminded Israel how they had to um, look for God to join them in tangible ways in their shelter. So I love this. John 1:14 says this, the Word became flesh and made His shelter among us, His tabernacle among us, His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus comes in the flesh and he actually lives among us, moves into our temporary shelter, moves into our mess, right? Takes it on. Totally understands it. Comes from heaven, is made into a man, understands what it's like to experience death, to be depressed, to be in danger, to be threatened. I mean, you can go on and on. And this is real love, exposing itself to the wilderness that we live in so that he can enter into it with us, join us in our shelter, and bring real life here. Have you ever been around when someone's invited Jesus into their shelter for the first time? It's amazing. It's amazing to see someone... Who's here and feeling vulnerable and like they have no answers and they don't know where to turn. And then they fall on their knees and they ask for the first time that Jesus would join them. Would come in and live with them. Right? That's amazing. We've been doing Alpha here for 10 weeks. Tonight's the last week. And we've been, 20 of us or so, 20 22 of us have been in the garden room every Sunday night. And we've been hearing the Alpha stories, the Alpha videos, and on those videos, there are countless stories of people that invited Jesus to live with them, to come in, to join them, to be part of their life. I think this is one of the messages of Christmas, of Sukkot. Like, you want real peace? You want real security? You want real protection? Then invite the Lord to join you in your wilderness, wilderness. There's a third picture that emerges from this particular festival and Jesus' birth coming together. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Look at these verses. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that that he would know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Those verses tell us that God protected his people when they were in the wilderness. I love that. Your feet did not swell. Your clothes did not wear out. Your shoes were fine. It says this in multiple places in Deuteronomy. God made sure his people were good in the wilderness and their difficulty. He was with them, providing for them, protecting them, making them secure in the wilderness. It's amazing. Now, you think about our country. We work super hard at security and safety and comfort, making sure everything's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you feel more secure these days? Or do you feel less secure? Do you think that the government knows what you are talking about? Hmm, maybe, sometimes. How about scientists? They've seen you tune in and sometimes a little locked. Where is your your security going to really be? Is it going to be in all those things? You know, like in airline, you know, checking stations where they scan you through to make sure everything's not safe. I mean, think about all the things we put in place. Again, nothing wrong with these things. But as followers of Jesus, our ultimate trust in the wilderness is not in any of that. Our ultimate trust in the wilderness is in a God who dwells among us, who lives with us inside of our temporary shelters, who moves in here and provides and protects and makes us secure. I and mean, I've known a long time ago, I can follow all the guidelines If the Lord wants me to die of COVID, that's the Lord's will. I can't do anything about that. So I'm not going to walk around freaking out. I'm going to walk around and live my life. I'm going to follow the guidelines of wearing my mask and doing all the things they're telling me, staying distant, not gathering in large crowds. But ultimately, it's up to God. My life is in His hands. Your life is in His hands. All the other stuff really is not security. Real security... Is right here with the Lord. Look at what Psalm 91 says. Those who live in the shelter, there's that word again, of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. So Jesus coming and joining us in our Sukkot, think about it, He's the ultimate, even eternal security. He can rescue us from even the power of death and sin. It's amazing. When you invite him into your life, your ultimate security is in that Jesus, what he can do for you. I love this, that God was pointing us to the meaning of his son coming through this amazing ancient festival. Now, believe it or not, there's one more picture in this. It comes from Isaiah 61. Look at this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. You will be called priests, of the Lord, ministers of our God." You know what they did on the last day of Sukkot? They had a massive feast. Everyone would go in their own little Sukkot temporary shelter. Their family would gather in here with them. I'm not sure how big some of these were. <laughs> this is my little version. It'd be tough for me and my family to get in here. Right? They'd go in this little thing, and they would throw a feast. And here's the thing that happened on that last day of the feast. They would look out, and they'd find people who didn't have what they had, who were poor, who were unfortunate, who needed help, who needed to be loved. And they would invite them into their Sukkot to join them in the meal. Amazing. Now, you might be saying, well, Klein, have you read the guidelines? We can't invite people in our house right now. Yeah, I, I know. It's going to be the weirdest Thanksgiving of all time, right? I'm going to be gathered with two of my kids, my wife and, my, and, my, and myself. It's going to be a small Thanksgiving. So inviting people into our houses right now probably can't happen. But you know what? That doesn't mean that we can't go out because this God is everywhere, right? We can't go out and we can't show people that he loves them, that he is with them. So next weekend is called Fifth Sunday Serve. Why is it called this? Well, there's four times a year when there's five Sundays in the month. So we've simply chosen to take the fifth Sunday and go out and serve the world four times a year. Okay, we did it in August. We were supposed to do it in March and May. It was canceled. In August, we went outside, we served. This time we're going out, we're going to rake leaves. I've been on the phone this week with 14 to 16 families, can't remember the exact number, and just talking to them about their need to have their yards cleaned up. Most of them are lonely senior citizens who are sitting alone, and they're saying to me, When do you think they're going to open things up again? They're just hungry to see somebody. We get to show up next Sunday morning between 10 and noon. We get to bless them and rake their leaves. We get to show them that Jesus wants to move into their shelter with them, into their difficulty, into their wilderness of COVID, whatever. We get to be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus next Sunday morning. We get to pack 1,600 care packs for prisoners who've been locked in their cells because they can't be out like normal for the last nine months, even more locked down than usual. We get to send those care packs to let them know someone's thinking about them, someone sees them, they're valued. We get to make shoeboxes for families in York Center over here in Brandywine and give those out next week and bless them with a gift of like, hey, we th- we're thinking about you, we love you, we care. I mean, this is exactly what this festival of Sukkot was all about. It was about stepping out, once you have Jesus living in your tent, and taking that Jesus out to others and showing others how that Jesus can live in their tent. So I hope you're signed up to be here next Sunday. We need lots of leaf rakers. We have like 16 yards to clean up. I've told them we're coming, so if I could be raking until 6 o'clock if nobody signs up. (laughs) But I'm trusting that you're going to show up, you're going to sign up, you're going to be here. right? We've got uh, folks packing here. We're going to have it all figured out. It's going to be amazing. Another chance for us to show the world that in the midst of their vulnerability, Jesus is with them. Now, I love this concept that the Jewish people have of palaces in time, that God shows up in the craziest times, the craziest places. Just last week in front of my house, God showed up in a crazy way. I'm sitting inside my house, at my desk, working, looking out the window. All of a sudden I can hear like two horns blowing like crazy in front of my house. Now, my house is right by the school, so at a certain time of day, a bunch of parents line up to get their kids, which makes the street pretty much a single-lane street. So here we are, we're inside the house, horns blowing like crazy, and I can see these two cars have come head-to-head, face-to-face, on the single-lane part of the street. All the parents are parked next to them, and now they have decided they're going to get in a fight about who's going to go first. And it's a young girl, probably in her 20s, and there's an old guy who's probably like 80 and I, I decided to go out there. <laughs> I thought, well, this is a chance to be maybe a peacemaker. So I went out there, and I said, hey, what's going on? And the old guy kicked in first. Well, she, he started going crazy on me. I said, okay, let me go talk to her. I went over to talked to the young girl. I said, hey, you know what? That guy is probably not going to move his car back. He's going to take somebody to back up first. You can back in my driveway, just let him go by, and then... It'll be cool. Yeah, but he, but he. I said, yeah, I know. It's okay. Like, somebody's got to be a bigger person. So after another couple minutes, she backed up. He drove off at like 90 miles an hour past all these cars where kids were coming out of school, just waving his hand out the window like a psychopath. And she thanked me and then drove off on her way. Now you say, well, what's the big deal about that, Clayton? I just love this. I love how God puts us in places throughout our week, we get to be the presence of Christ. Those of us that have already invited Jesus to join us, we understand. We understand. We get it. We've experienced this amazing presence of God, protection, love, care, security, and we can help others in simple ways get it. So wherever God takes you this week, I hope that you will take the Jesus who's joined you in your Sukkot with you and bless the world on your way. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for these amazing pictures that you paint in your word. You so desperately want us to get it, to understand what you're doing, what you're about, what you're up to. Lord, I pray during this Advent season in 2020, Lord, that you would help to open our eyes to whole new revelations about who you are, how you want to move in our lives, and how you want us to move in the world. Thank you for being the God who dwells among us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.